Mortimer, Episode 3. Thank you for tuning into Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Mortimer is an entire novel that you may decide to read in print or digital form. Yet each episode of this audio podcast is broken up into a serial of sorts for your enjoyment. We hope you enjoy this duty-free audio presentation of Mortimer. I know this story may not be conventional, but from all of us in the Iscariot Manor, we wish you a happy listening party, wherever you may be. In addition to the standard education provided for most young persons at school, Mrs. Dixon had also spent almost 20 years teaching Mortimer about propriety, social graces, and training him how to behave appropriately. In fact, she was seen as one of the best trainers of youth in the county. Mothers from all over Georgetown County had solicited Mrs. Dixon's opinion on child-rearing a time or two, a fact that filled her with quite a bit of pride. However, at present, Mrs. Dixon was feeling like an impostor. How could she help other people with child-rearing practices when her very own squire was so out of control? She took the towels from the top shelf of the wardrobe that Mr. Iscariot had shipped in from Marshall Field and Company in Chicago. These were one example of the unending superfluous luxuries that Mr. Iscariot demanded stocked and ready for him and his young family before they made their move from the city over twenty years ago. Mrs. Dixon was far too practical to spend money on such ridiculous trinkets. She believed wholeheartedly in modesty, education, and a secure savings account. Nearly every dollar she had earned during her years as a nanny had either been put into savings or sent to her five children in Jamaica. Sure, she did spend a little here and there, but those cherished pennies were used responsibly, and really primarily to maintain her position as one of the most respected and upstanding nannies in the town. During trying times, such as the one she was enduring now, listening as Mortimer ranted on, she would reflect upon these things. Her status in society, her five children back home in Jamaica, and her little nest egg savings account. She smiled and imagined herself floating away to a happy home in Jamaica, nuzzled in a canary yellow hammock, where she and her late husband lived. Surrounding her were her five brilliantly successful children, who also happened to be educated, refined, and practical, not to mention each one of them doted upon their mother mercilessly. Something Mortimer said snapped her from her reverie. What was that? The acute angle of the graphite must be shaven to be at a precise 34 degrees in order to satisfy my requirements of integrity in the shading and duplication of a majestic mistress, Esquire. Mortimer barreled on as though he had not heard her, 
No, 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 Mrs. Dixon waved her hand. You said something about communion wine. She wrinkled her nose. Have you been drinking? I shall require a trip to Mendelman's General, Mortimer was in front of the mirror, vigorously scrubbing at his tarnished lapel. Blast that wolfish degenerate! Mrs. Dixon shut the water off. Are you listening to me, boy? But before she could go on, there was a knock at the door. Goodness, who could that be? She pointed to Mortimer. You get in the bath, put your clothes in the hamper there. I will send Neville in with your robe. What about my dinner? You will only get your dinner after you've had your bath. With a sweep of her skirt, Mrs. Dixon left the bathroom, opened the door to the house, and came face to face with John Adams Iscariot. Isn't it a bit late to be paying a call? Mrs. Dixon did not feign ceremony when it came to this man. He had been a thorn in her side since she had joined the Iscariot staff twenty years ago. Though he was her late master's only brother, he was also one of the most irritating men of her acquaintance. Neville assured me it would be quite all right. Did he? Before I let you into the house just now? Ignoring her, John opened a small leather book. Considering this property will belong to me as soon as... Well, we won't go into that now, will we? He looked through his spectacles at Mrs. Dixon, who glowered at him. I don't suppose we will. John suppressed a smile, for when Mrs. Dixon scrunched her face the way she was presently, she looked quite akin to a bulldog. What is all that nonsense in there? He leaned over as if to peer through the closed bathroom door. Has Mortimer not yet learned how to employ the bath? I assure you that the hygienic aptitude of Mr. Ascariot is none of your concern. Ah, brushing up on your English, I see. John raised a condescending brow. It reflects upon the family nicely. Mrs. Dixon was unable to give him a sufficient demonstration of her acumen for English, her native language, but John tossed an envelope into her hands. This was on the front stoop. She eyed John warily. I beg you a pardon? Indeed, woman. Your listening skills leave much to be desired. She hoped he would mistake the trembling in her hands for anger instead of the paralyzing fear that had chilled her to the bone. Someone cleared his or her throat at the opposite end of the hall. Dinner is ready. Mrs. Dixon stuffed the letter into the front pocket of her apron. Thank you, Millie. Then, turning back to her guest, I suppose you would like to stay. I've only come by to discuss some things with the lady of the house, if you would be so kind as to direct me to her. Mrs. Dixon watched as he discreetly withdrew a roll from his pants pocket, extracted a small white tab from it, and popped it into his mouth. Mrs. Ascariot is in no condition to take callers, I'm afraid. She folded her hands and looked him straight in the face. Mrs. Dixon was thankful that, after her earlier venture into the foyer, dressed in her nightgown, the widow of the late Mr. Iscariot had wandered back upstairs to her wing of the house. Unfortunately, Mrs. Iscariot hadn't been well enough to take a caller for quite some time. Mrs. Dixon suppressed a sigh. The lady of the house had been acting a bit batty for years, and then, with the tragic disappearance of her husband, she had completely lost her mind. 
Much of her time she spent wandering the halls, confused expression in her eyes and nonsense at her lips. It was all that Mrs. Dixon could do to prevent the entire town from learning of the mistress of the manor's decline into lunacy. Of course, this was not news to John, as he was her brother-in-law, but all the same, Mrs. Dixon did not want to afflict her mistress with an unannounced guest, especially this unannounced guest. Perhaps I may be able to answer any questions you have for Mrs. Iscariot? John closed the leather book. I'm afraid it might be a bit much for your mind, dear. My God! Mrs. Dixon and John jumped in surprise at the outburst in the bathroom. What on earth is he doing in there? John Adams put a hand to his chest as if to quell his throbbing heart. Mrs. Dixon put on a rehearsed smile. Why don't you go make yourself comfortable in the dining room with a nice glass of tea? Martimer will be out shortly, and he shall join you. Unexpectedly, John assented, putting his spectacles inside his breast jacket pocket. What's on the menu? At that moment, vigorous splashing emanated from the bathroom. If you will excuse me. With a jerk of her head, Mrs. Dixon ignored the inquiry and turned on her sensible black heels, leaving John alone in the foyer. Heinous, pale-hearted braggart! You stay away from her mistress! came the cry from the bathroom. John took a step away from the door, sniffed once, and with a look over his shoulder, he walked toward the dining room. The ship maneuvered toward the iceberg at a mere four knots. The storm raged on, and the ship could go no faster, despite the captain's expert skills at the helm. All hands on deck! It cried over the crashing of the waves. No man, no matter how nefarious his plots, would ever defeat her mistress. With a flurry of excitement, the crew popped out of the barrels and emerged from the decks below, for that is where the crew resided, right? The villain lay unmoving, a black lump on the polished deck. Several of the crew stepped on him and ran about as they readied their positions. Bail out, the captain ordered his men to the right, and then to those on his left, hard up the sails. But the wind is too mighty, a frightened mate cried over the whip of the wind. Oh, God, cried another, we'll never make it. Never doubt the great Captain Mortimer, another said wisely, before jumping obediently into action. His heart swelled with admiration, for the captain was widely known to be the master of the sea. In fact, he was inarguably the best sailor in all the world. With an impressive series of carefully calculated maneuvers, the ship responded and arched toward one side, barely missing the foreboding iceberg. The sailors whooped and cried out for joy. Hip, hip, hooray for Captain Mortimer! That will teach you to try to thwart her mistress! The captain, whose hat glimmered with dots of water in the light of the setting sun, pointed a condescending finger at a man who was hunched over, nursing a broken nose. The waters were smooth now, bubbling with what looked to be soap or sea foam. The pirate nodded his still aching head, for the majestic punch the captain had thrown truly had knocked some sense into him. I'll never do it again, captain. I'll never try to take the ship. That is her mistress to you, cried Captain Mortimer. You shall walk the plank. Mortimer! But I can't swim, the pirate shook his head, his eyes pleading. Any assault on my ship shall be punished by death. Mortimer! There was a thunder, and the captain scanned the sky. Was another storm afoot so soon? He straightened his hat, ready for action. 
Mortimer! The door to the bathroom had burst open. What happened in here? Neville surveyed the water droplets on the walls and piles of bubbles on the floor. I must make some adjustments to the angles of the sails, for they must be at the proper measurements in case of an unexpected storm. Mortimer splashed around in the tub. Resolving that he may never understand what inspired the young master to flood the bathroom floor on a fairly regular basis, Neville held out the luxurious white bathrobe. Mrs. Dixon insists that you eat in the dining room this evening. Ridiculous! Mortimer shot back, finally acknowledging the butler's presence. Then he stood up and allowed himself to be engulfed in the folds of cotton. Your uncle is here. It would be discourteous to request that he eat alone. Rubbish! Mortimer's hair stuck up all over, as though he'd been through a hurricane. Do something about your hair. I have laid out your dinner suit on the bed, and Mrs. Dixon requested that I tell you to return downstairs in fifteen minutes. The roast is ready to be taken to the dining room, Millie. Mrs. Peabody indicated with her gravy spoon to the platter of meat. Neville, be a dear and take out the greens. Another letter came. Mrs. Dixon appeared in the doorway. Neville halted in his tracks. What kind of letter? The spoon clattered to the stove at Mrs. Dixon's answering look. Oh, clumsy me, Mrs. Peabody began to busily wipe the splatters of gravy from the counter. Millie, please set the table, Mrs. Dixon commanded, wishing to speak with her companions in private. But, Millie, do as I say. Yes, Mrs. Dixon. When they were alone, Neville spoke. What does it say? Read for yourself. Mrs. Dixon handed Neville a letter before she dropped into a chair. Neville scanned quickly. This is ludicrous. Neville, Mr. Iscariot will hear. Mrs. Peabody shushed. We will alert the authorities, Neville decided. I have had enough. We can't keep doing this. One life has already been lost. Mrs. Dixon took a slow breath, trying to calm the trembling. I cannot live with myself being responsible for the loss of another. Mortimer will not be harmed, Mrs. Peabody placed a comforting hand on Mrs. Dixon's shoulder. The authorities will find whoever this is. Just like they found the killer of Mr. Iscariot. But they did find her. She was arrested, Mrs. Peabody reminded. Then why does this person claim to have done it? Mrs. Dixon shook her head. Either the wrong person was arrested two years ago and the killer is still on the loose, or, or the true criminal is still haunting us from prison. Prisoners cannot collect on blackmail letters, Neville said. This is likely some sociopath who knows of Mr. Iscariot's murder and is monopolising off our fear to get their dirty hands on the Iscariot fortune. Well, who doesn't know about Mr. Iscariot's murder? Mrs. Peabody fussed. It was all over the papers. This person, whoever he is, has Mr. Iscariot's kin. Mrs. Dixon reminded them of the last letter which included a photograph of their late master's favourite walking cane, the one he had been seen with the night he was killed. Perhaps she had an accomplice. Neville replaced the correspondence into the envelope. Mrs. Dixon, let's do call the authorities. Mrs. Peabody wrung her hands. We are not detectives. Let's leave this to the experts. Ignore this letter and risk the threats being carried out. Mrs. Dixon shut up. That is not a risk I am willing to take. I was given charge to take care of Mortimer, to take care of this house. We will pay whatever this felon wants, and more. But 
Will this be the last time? Mrs. Peabody's voice pitched. There will be more letters, Elizabeth. And we will pay it, whatever it costs. Mrs. Dixon turned to the butler. Neville, call the barrister in the morning and have him draw the funds. Neville lowered his head in the briefest of nods. As you wish, he turned away. I will see to our guests now. The rectangular-shaped dining-room table was twenty feet long and crafted out of deep red mahogany that had been cut from the Suetania humilis log from a forest on the Pacific coast of Central America. Mr. Iscariot, the founder and president of the largest shipping chain on the continent, had instructed that the lumber be carried up the coast to New York City on an enormous barge. Upon arriving in New York, the lumber was hauled to one of Mr. Iscariot's many factories, where it was cut, shaved, filed, polished, and painted into extraordinary and unique pieces, including the one that now sat in the darkened dining room of the Iscariot mansion. An eggshell white runner went down the center of the table. Atop the runner were several polished candelabras with tapered lit candles. A hefty Moroccan vase holding a bounty of flowers added a splash of color and life to the modern accoutrement. Mortimer sat at one end of the table. His standard evening meal of sauerkraut, sausage, custard and mutton lay before him. John was on the opposite end and he inhaled the gravy-soaked roast, vegetables and potatoes through his nostrils. Are you sure you won't even try a bite, my dear nephew? My digestive balance is maintained by the microscopic content of the sauerkraut. I'm not suggesting you compromise your digestion. Only try a piece. Mrs. Peabody really outdid herself this time. The sausage offers a perfect balance of protein that has been sufficiently processed to ease my stomach in the onslaught of a digestive mission. Neville. Upon seeing the butler enter the dining room, John tapped his empty glass with a finger before shoveling another bite into his mouth. Mortimer, you do look refreshed. Did you quite enjoy your bath? The custard balances the pH of my digestion, otherwise I may become too acidic and develop an unpleasant surge of burning in my chest. Ah, you suffer from heartburn? John raised a silvered brow. Quite unfortunate. You know your father had the same problem. Licorice tabs can be quite the lifesaver. Mortimer took a delicate bite, chewed approximately forty-six times, and then swallowed. He set his fork down and took a sip from his cup of milk. John leaned back and allowed Neville to refill his glass. There are protesters back in the city. Have you heard? John tried to ignore the slurping sounds resonating from the other end of the table. Protesting the prohibition. The law's a bunch of nonsense, if you ask me. All it does is encourage underground drinking. Mortimer did not respond. He was presently quite focused on the task of inserting each finger between his fat lips and sucking quite loudly, in order to ensure he had consumed every last morsel of sausage. Indeed. There's been quite an upsurge of speakeasies, especially in the cities. John cringed as his nephew went to work on his other five fingers. Seems to me... John hesitated speaking, for he had no idea if Mortimer was paying him any attention. Frustration evaporated as an idea took hold in John's mind. He smiled and crossed his hands on the tabletop. 
Mortimer's distraction could actually serve to be quite useful. Excuse me, Neville? John looked at the butler out of the corner of his eye. Uh, yes, Mr. Ruskariot? Have you any of that fancy granular salt that I love so much? Uh, yes, Neville hesitated. Uh, it's in the storm pantry outside of the house, sir. I'd really delight in a granular salt if you'd be so kind. Of course, sir. Neville, who took his job quite seriously, did a champion job of hiding his annoyance at such a request. Knowing Mrs. Peabody would be heartbroken to learn her meal had required salt in order to be enjoyed, Neville decided to go the long way round the house to the pantry instead of through the kitchen. Bowing curtly, Neville exited the dining hall, leaving John and Mortimer alone once more. Mortimer, my nephew, John began, over the sound of metal clanking against porcelain. I know the company is a dreadful bore, so I have a proposition for you. From the other end of the table came an uninspired, hmm. Indeed, I do tend to agree with you. In tedious days such as these, in equanimity, I have taken it upon my shoulders whilst you grieve, my dear nephew, at the loss of your father. By which street did you arrive? Mortimer interrupted. John started, for Mortimer rarely made inquiries of others. I took Wayward Avenue to Charleston Drive, he narrowed his eyes. Why do you ask? Wayward is a degraded excuse for a road. Quite affects my digestion, John cleared his throat. Well, that sounds dreadful. Mortimer slurped up the last of his custard, leaving a creamy deposit in his bushy moustache. Mortimer! John touched a finger to his lips in a polite gesture of a missed spot of cream. Mortimer licked his bottom lip clean, completely missing the top lip. "'Where's Mrs. Dixon?' he wondered aloud, missing or deliberately ignoring his uncle's cue. There wasn't much time left, so John went on more hurriedly this time. "'Mortimer, in a gesture of solicitude, I am willing to take over the company. All I need from you is a signature. I have the paperwork right here.' She knows that after my supper that I require the radio. John pulled the leather book from his lapel. Inside the contract that John himself had made was folded neatly four times. You see? Sorry for the delay. The salt was at the back of the pantry, Neville said, accusation in his voice. John rapidly replaced the contract into the leather book and slid it back into his lapel. Oh, dear Neville, did I say salt? John shook his head and clicked his tongue against his front teeth. I meant time. I wanted time. Silly me. From the garden, sir? Neville's face flushed in what John could only surmise to be suppressed anger. The manor does have the best gardens in the south. Thanks to Mr. Peabody. John smiled nefariously. Yes, sir. Where's Mrs. Dixon? Mortimer demanded from the opposite end of the table. I'll tell her you're ready to retire to the lounge. Neville walked to the end of the table and handed Mortimer a handkerchief. Do not dangle that dirty thing in front of my face. You have custard on your moustache. Neville looked up at the ceiling as though he was praying. I'm saving it for later. Neville, the time? John's tone was condescending. My roast is growing cold. The butler reddened again and then nodded. Of course. He dropped the handkerchief next to Mortimer on the table and left the dining room once more. Once they were alone, 
John rose and approached Mortimer at the other end of the table. He withdrew the contract again and placed it on the table before his nephew. I need your signature here, and the company will no longer be a bother to you. What is this conspiracy? Would the lady herself sign away the deed to her majestic being? From the love of all that is holy, John muttered. The treasure within the boughs, the strokes of colour and light of the sea-reflected moon on waters abreast as she sails into the deepening abyss. Can you measure the felicity, the livelihood and depth of the eudaimonia that is embodied in the act of mere possession of her bountiful sails? Mortimer, this is not a ship, this is a company. Of all the ships in the Amada, the mistress herself... "'What is all this yelling?' Mrs. Dixon stormed into the room. "'Mortimer is ranting again,' John waved his hand and went back to his end of the table. "'Did you provoke him?' "'The depths of the deepest waters would not provoke me to abandon the moments we would share, sailing through the deepest reaches of this great world's bounds.' Mortimer carried on. "'Now look what you've done.' He's going to rant on like this for hours. Mrs. Dixon took Neville's unused handkerchief and wiped Mortimer's face with it. I was saving that. Tell your uncle good night. He's taking his leave. Mrs. Dixon ignored Mortimer's flapping hands as he tried to escape. Percy, get yourself out of that tree. It's time for school. Bobby Sue wagged a dirty dish rag in his direction. And wash your face, you're covered in mud. But more, came the reply, in a voice not suiting for a boy of seventeen. Percy, Bobby Sue's only child, was hanging upside down from the massive maple tree, his carrot-coloured hair surrounding his head in wild curls that looked like a patch of marigolds. He had a narrow, pug-like nose he got from his father, but the hair he had inherited from Bobby Sue, a feature she was particularly proud of. In fact, she loved his wild head of hair so much that her reluctance to cut off his curls had resulted in her son having a quite uncommonly long mane. Perhaps it was a bit unconventional, but Bobby Sue couldn't help but admire the lovely ringlets. She sighed to herself, a smile at her lips as she watched the curls bob and wave as Percy wriggled around in the tree. She'd never had any daughters, and she felt it was a mother's right to decorate and dote. So long as Jeb didn't complain, she'd let her son's hair grow down to his ankles. You have five minutes, she called across the field, before turning to go back inside the small farmhouse. The Binkley home was quaint, and just how Bobby Sue liked it. She'd painted the walls herself, a custom blend of moss green, eggshell white and topa. The counters had once been white, but were long since faded to a pale yellow. It didn't matter much to Bobby Sue, because you could rarely see them anyhow, thanks to Percy's school projects, Jeb's business correspondence, and Bobby Sue's cooking. Ignoring the dishes in the sink behind her, Bobby Sue went to the center island, pondering where to start. There was quite a lot of housework to do. The stain from last week's stew fiasco had become congealed to the counter surface and was long overdue for a good scrubbing. She wrinkled her nose at the daunting prospect. There was, however, the less foreboding stack of papers that Jeb had dumped in the kitchen several days back 
after his trip into the city. She decided the stew stain could wait another week, and so she went to work on the correspondences. Several minutes later, Percy burst into the house, barefoot and breathless. A small scruff of hair protruded from his unshaven chin. I'm ready to go, Ma. We are tobacco farmers. Have some pride. Bobby Sue spit on the dish rag and went to work on his face. There we are. Squeaky clean. Percy leapt out of her reach and beelined it straight for the cheese pantry. Have you had your bath this week? Bobby Sue relinquished her attack as Percy foraged. I washed behind my ears. His voice echoed from inside. Then he emerged, his cheeks puffed out like a squirrel. Flakes of cheese fell out of his mouth as he vigorously chewed. Clenched within two dirty fists was even more cheese, cheddar in the right and Swiss in the left. Percy? Bobby Sue rushed toward him, but he was too quick and danced away. I can't understand a word you're saying with all that cheese in your mouth. His mother changed trajectories, trying to corner her son in the dining room. Get over here! What's going on? A voice boomed from the doorway. Oh, Jeb, thank heavens. Percy got into the cheese pantry and I'm afraid for his digestion. Percy moaned and rolled his eyes. Percy, y'all better not be disrespecting your mama. Jeb dropped one of his muddy boots on the counter and flung the other one at Percy. Hey! Percy screeched as the boot bounced off his head. Teach you to upset your mama. Percy flung a handful of cheese towards his father. Food fight! Percy, no! Bobby Sue begged. You're late for school! Ah! Oh. Jeb plucked a bit of cheese off the counter and ate it. Now finish the fertilizing. Boots are in a mess. Can you be a doll and clean them up for me? Of course, baby. Bobby Sue smoothed her apron and approached her husband. His face was in worse condition than his son's, and he looked quite like he'd fertilized himself in the process. Why don't we go into the back room and get y'all washed up? Percy protested the scene by making fake vomiting sounds. Boy, put some shoes on your feet. You're late for school, Jeb ordered, and then turning to his wife, I've a meeting with Mr. Slate this afternoon. He's interested in buying some crop at harvest. Oh, darling, a buyer. Bobby Sue wrapped her arms around Jeb. We've not sold more than pennies in ages. Do you think he might actually buy? I can't see why not, Jeb shrugged. He picked up an apple from the basket in the middle of the counter, threw it into the air, and caught it before taking a bite. Ma, I need my lunch. Percy emerged from the back room, goulashes on his feet. He was still wearing the tattered T-shirt that he donned that morning before his romp in the woods. It was stained yellow under the arms, and the neckline looked like it had been vigorously chewed upon. At least his face was clean. It's in a brown sack next to your pa's shoes. I want it in my bandana. Percy dashed outside, grasped his Tom Sawyer stick, and brought it into the house. That's ridiculous, boy. We're not country bumpkins. Oh, let him carry his lunch with a stick. That's the way Lumberjacks did it back in the day. It'll put some man in him, considering you dress him up like a lady all the time. Jeb took another massive bite out of his apple. She does not. Oh, 
The two of you are going to drive me insane. Bobby Sue threw up her hands. Here, I'll put the sack in the bandana. When he tossed her the sweaty bandana that he'd been storing in the back of his shorts, she wrapped it around the sack and tied it expertly to his stick. Thanks, Ma! Percy flashed a mischievous grin that didn't fool his mother. But before she could stop him, he grabbed his father's tin can of tobacco from the counter and hurried off down the gravel drive towards school. Oh, now what are we gonna do? Bobby Sue sighed. He's been kicked out of school six times already for chewing. What do you expect? Grinned Jeb. He's the son of a tobacco farmer. It's free advertising's how I look at it. Then to his wife, Now how about you and I go to the back room, like you mentioned? You can clean the manure off of my there nether regions. Eh? Learn more at www.mortimerbook.com Copyright 2022 M.W. Cedars Written by M.W. Cedars, the author pseudonym Audiobook performance by Michael Drew Neither this author nor affiliates, comrades, patriots or associates are engaged in rendering professional or non-professional advice, services, recommendations or any other suggestions of any kind to the individual reader. This book is purely fiction and all opinions and all likenesses of characters, industries, cities, or associations with any place or anyone you know are purely coincidental. Thank you for subscribing to Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Be sure to download the next episode.